Well, good afternoon. My name is Matt. If I haven't had a chance to introduce myself, my name is Matt Miller, one of the pastors here. And um, we're going to kick off the new year with, uh, honestly, just kind of my favorite topic to teach on. Um, I I don't know about you. I I struggle sometimes going to sleep. And so one of my mechanisms that helps me sleep is I listen to books on tape because those don't keep my wife awake with my headphones like the TV does, right? And so, because I'm an awesome husband. And so uh, I've got my headphones in, and the other night I'm like, you know what, I just finished a book I was listening to, and uh, I thought, I'll, I'll go to sleep listening to the Bible. What a great way to go to sleep with God's words of being Morgan Freeman, being popped into my ear, right? Wrong move, because man, I don't know about you, but whenever I open the Bible and I really sit down to read, it gets me, I get fired up. Like, the principles in it, the stories, uh, I, I don't know, I just have, I, I, love, I, love, I love God's word. And so I'm laying there in bed trying to get to sleep, and I'm listening to the Gospel of Matthew, and I hear this particular verse that I've read before, but I've never heard it before. And when I heard it, man, my wheels just started spinning. Forget sleep, man. I'm, I'm, a, I'm awake now, right? And I'm ready to teach this verse the next week. Well, that was a couple months ago. And um, as I was uh, preparing and thinking for our January 1st message, right? Because anybody make New Year's resolutions uh, for the year? Any, any of those? Some of the, Like, I mean, I, mine was I'm deleting Facebook off my phone. Did it, right? And so, uh, uh, but little silly ones. Like, anyway, but we, we, we think that way, and we process that. And so I want to share this scripture with you. And uh, I want to talk to you today about the most, like, if you're looking for this complicated, deep, complex message, you're in the wrong place tonight, right? Because what I'm going to teach you is so simple and so basic, yet it's also the very thing that most Christians, most Christians neglect doing. We just neglect it. We overlook it. We don't have time for it, but it is the one thing, the one thing that is the most critical. Now, how I'm going to get here is I'm going to start with this passage that kept me awake all night. It's found in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7 through 10. And so uh, let's just kind of jump in here, and um, I'm going to read a portion of it, and then I'm going to kind of explain some of it. This is what we read. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You offspring of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Now here's the context of that passage, just so you kind of know. I think it's some good to learn, some biblical stuff, right? First of all, it says, but when he, he's talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is not John the disciple. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. His ministry started before Jesus' ministry started, and he paved the way straight for Jesus. He, he was a, man, uh, John the Baptist was an odd cat. He wore different types of clothing, ate different types of food. He had a very high challenge message, extremely high challenge message. But, man, people were flocking to him, I mean, bunches of people, so much so that some of the religious people began to think that he was the Messiah. He had to say, I'm not the Messiah, right? I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals, right? And so it says here in this passage also that uh, he was baptizing people. Now, if you've been baptized or you've understood or seen Christian baptism, we baptize not only into a set of behaviors, and you might not have known that, but when someone gets, this is our baptism over here, when someone gets baptized, we say we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as we put them under the water, and then we bring them right back up. And we're baptizing somebody not only into the behaviors of living like Jesus, but also to the family of God and the, and the church family. He said, hey, this is a public profession of a decision that I am making to follow Jesus. That's not what John was doing. John was baptizing people from a change of lifestyle because Jesus had yet to die and resurrect. So it wasn't an eternal uh, pr- uh, process in place or a, a more of a spiritual one. It was the guys coming to him saying, man, I'm living outside of God's law. 
because that's what they lived by was the law, the Old Testament. I'm living outside of that, and so I'm going to come publicly into this water, John, and I'm asking you to baptize me. And what I'm telling all of my friends and people that see this today is that when I come up out of this water, I'm no longer going to live that way. That's what John did. And people were coming from all around. And so on this particular day, uh, these Pharisees and Sadducees come to John. And he doesn't like them, as you can tell, because he calls them you offspring of vipers, which is not the Hebrew way of saying, hey, friends. That's not, like, he doesn't like these people, right? Now, when you read the gospel, you see the word Pharisees and Sadducees often. More Pharisee than Sadducee, but you see them both. Here's who they are. In the Jewish culture, these are the top-notch people. Like, not just the top-notch people in church world, they are the top-notch people in the Jewish realm. So they, these guys would have sat, some of them would have sat on this leadership council called the Sanhedrin. And these were the people who cast judgment, who set laws, who set all kinds of things for the Jewish people. Pharisees and Sadducees, but they're different people, right? Here's what I mean. Pharisees would have had the title rabbi. Sadducees would have had the title priest, so they wouldn't have been, hey, Pharisee. They would have said, hey, Rabbi. They wouldn't have said, hey, Sadducee. They would have said, hello, priest. That's how they would have been addressed. Now, here's what some of the things that would distinguish the two. A Pharisee could honestly be anyone who was qualified to become a Pharisee. These men were extremely brilliant. Like, they actually had, the, as I understand it, they had the whole Old Testament memorized. Like, these were some smart, smart cookies. But they could have been anybody who made their way through the schooling process uh, Throughout their life, they could have attained this title of rabbi. Sadducees, however, were people who were born into this. So it had to be a type of lineage that actually went all the way back to Aaron with the, 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 the priest stuff. And so these guys, born into it, Sadducees, uh, developed into it, Pharisees. Now, they had different types of thinking as well. I'll start with the Pharisees. The Pharisees understood the Old Testament. Let me get the Old Testament here. The Pharisees understood the Old Testament to be the entire authoritative word of God. From Genesis to Malachi in your Old Testament, they would have said, hey, all of this is God's word and it can instruct and teach. And the things that as we've read it and interpreted it, the oral law, that, that also is authoritative. And so they had set up so many additional laws in addition to the Old Testament that the reason, one reason John calls them the brood of vipers is they were weighing, Jesus even said this too, you're weighing the people down. But the Pharisees viewed the entire Old Testament as authoritative. The Sadducees, however, just viewed the first five books of the Old Testament. So the Torah is what the Sadducees said is the authoritative work of God. Not the entire Old Testament. Not that they didn't read it, but they just didn't give it the same equal footing. You with me on that one? So here's what that meant. Because the Pharisees read the entire Old Testament, they had a deeper theology on other issues. Like, for example, in the Old Testament, the Pharisees would have had a theology on angels, on demons, on afterlife, like in, and the resurrection, like heaven or hell and the resurrection. The Pharisees would have had some biblical context to why they believed what they believed. The Sadducees, however, did not have theology for those things because the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, don't really speak to those type of things. Now, it'll speak to resurrection, but you have to read it through a specific perspective and lens to kind of see that it's not as clear as in the rest of the Old Testament. So therefore, Pharisees believed in resurrection. They believed in a heaven. They believed in a hell. They believed in angels. They believed in demons. Sadducees did not. So for them, once someone died, they didn't have a theology to explain what happened next, so they just kind of believed that it was over. So they had no hope for eternal life. That's why they were so sad, you see. Uh, come on, guys. That's funny, right? <laughs> come on, play with me. Right. But that, that is the truth. That's why they, they, they didn't have a... a uh, just not getting that. Sorry, it's a slow, slow crowd. Um, but um, 
But that's, that, that was some differences. So even when you read the Gospels on your own, what you might notice when we get into Jesus' later days and, and sometimes Peter on down the road, I mean Paul on down the road, is that when they're standing before the Sanhedrin, you will see them lob up a resurrection question. Why? Because they know that it'll get the Sadducees arguing with the Pharisees and show that even this unified Sanhedrin body isn't actually unified at all. It's very interesting. So that's who approaches John and who John the Baptist speaks to, and he's just angry with these people. He doesn't like the pressure that these religious elite have put on the people. And he says, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee the coming wrath? Now, that's background. Here is the scripture that kept me up all night. Therefore, to these men, he said, produce fruit that proves your repentance. And when I read that, I thought about this New New Year's resolution mindset. And what John is saying to these people and what we can glean from this in Scripture is this. Let there be action that supports the words we say. What good does it say that, what good is it to go and buy that gym membership but yet never go to the gym? We think sometimes because we speak it that it's happened, right? Because I say I'm going to lose weight that somehow I'm going to lose it. Because I say I'm going to get my finances under order that somehow it's just magically going to happen. But we struggle with taking the proper steps that help that thing be accomplished. And the reason why is because once we take it, we feel the pain of it. And it doesn't feel good. It's not easy. So we back off of that thing. And what John is saying in the spiritual way, and I'm about to take a turn on you, okay, is that, is that, we, that we have to have some fruit... Like, show me that you really are being repentant. See these other guys, you Pharisees and Sadducees? They're going in the water, and they're saying that what I used to do, I'm no longer going to do. My lifestyle is going to be different. Watch me. And what about us? Now, the danger in what I just shared, as a Christ follower, as a person who's maybe trying to follow Jesus or wanting to follow, I mean, you're at church, for heaven's sake, on January 1, right? So I've got to assume that you're at least wanting to make somewhat better decisions is that all of a sudden you make this list of things that you're going to do to be a better person. You're just going to, and here's what you're going to do. You're going to wear yourself out and wear yourself down trying to do good. The last thing I want you to do today is to do good. I want to talk, not that I don't want you to do bad, but you're going to see what I'm saying. I want to talk to you about the one thing that we must do. And it's the one thing that most people don't do, especially Jesus followers. We just overlook it. We don't have time for it. And I want to I start this uh, kind of maybe more by my, my spiritual journey. I, came to, I started following Jesus at the, age of 20, at, at the age of 19. Actually, got real serious about it at 19. Made a profession of faith my senior year in high school. But let's just say 19. That's when I got serious with my walk. And when I got serious with my walk, like I, I wasn't playing. Like when I said yes, I said yes right? And, and I got super involved and in ministry, serving, you name it, man. Like I was at church every service, serving. I loved ministry. I loved everything about the church, uh, even the yucky bad stuff, like people's mean, I just love it, right? I loved it. But I, as I reflect back on it, I, I would bet, I'll be 40 this year, I would say that at least two-thirds of my Christian life has been spent in sin management, like, that's how I viewed my Christian walk. Like, okay, I can't do these things. And if I did do, if I, ha- if I sinned, if I did something I shouldn't have done, then, man, I got to make up for it. And I can't do that again because, man, that makes me feel bad or that's not, that doesn't make God happy. And so it was like I had these scales in my mind. And, man, I had to either balance them out some way with just, my, my, my spiritual faith was based on, my, it was not based on a love for God. It was doing the right thing and not doing the bad thing. And so it became a burden. And so um, I began to, I came across a scripture in John 15 where Jesus says, 
to his disciples, he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I call you friends because you know everything that I'm doing. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm a servant because I'm always doing right the right thing so that somehow God is pleased with me. And it's, I'm not, I want to be Jesus's friend. Now, you get the same outcome on both of those, but the why you do it is completely different. Like, there are certain things that Matt Miller doesn't do, and there are certain things that Matt Miller does, and it's, but it's not because I'm trying to be a good person in these spiritual scales. It's because I want to be a good friend of Jesus. Does that make sense a little bit? It's a completely different way of thinking and seeing the world. And so he, I, there's, I have a question for you, and it's not in the insert. It's only on the screens because I didn't want you kind of reading and processing this. But Summer, can we put that question up real quick? Here's the question that I have for you. I'm about to show you a scripture, and as we read this scripture and look at it, is this scripture a reflection of your current Christian experience? Okay, you ready? Here's the verse. Jesus said this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my load is not hard to carry. Now, when you think about your own Christian experience, does that describe you? Or is it a burden just to get to church? Is it a chore to read God's word? Is your ministry, whether that be loving your family or serving at the church or serving in the neighborhood, does it, or do you ever find yourself going, oh man, I, I mean, just, you just feel, you, you say things and make sounds of frustration, weight, aggravation, um, being tired, exhausted. Because if that's the feeling that you get when you think about your, anywhere in your spiritual life, then something's wrong. Either you're wrong, I'm wrong, or Jesus is wrong. And I don't want to think that Jesus is wrong, right? And so there's something that we miss in our understanding of what God's asked us to do um, that totally gets us off kilter. And here, here would be my, um, my hypothesis is, could it be because we spend all of our time doing good things? Because we think that's what Jesus would have us to do. We, we, we just, like, maybe you hear about a missionary such as Sarah who's going to go to Africa, and you think, well, that's what I need to do now. And so here we go. We're just going to go to Africa and, and serve people because that's what God would want. Well, maybe that's what God wants for her. What does he want for you? So here's the one thing, all right? I'm not going to string you along anymore, all right? Here's the one thing that I believe more than anything Jesus asks of us that we don't have the time for. And some of you already know what I'm going to say. And it's simply this, that you have time to abide in him. Now, abide is not a word that we use a lot, but it's you make time to build relationship with Jesus. And that sounds maybe weird for some of us because like, you mean, how do I talk to someone who's invisible or someone who is not there? How do I build a relationship with someone that I can't see and touch, Right. And it takes a little bit of practice in reading the Bible and understanding this prayer life. But that is the very thing, guys, that we don't make time for. It's the one thing Jesus asks us to do, and we don't make time for it because of this, because we're so busy doing all this other stuff. And I've been assuming that it's good stuff. Some of you may be out doing bad stuff, and that's why you don't have time. Maybe you feel guilty approaching God's Word. But the thing is that of all of the things God asks us to do, it starts with remain in me. And I can prove it to you here in John chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 4. All right? Now, if you ever want to sit down and read your Bible and you never know what to read, just read John 15 and 16. It's two phenomenal chapters for your 2017 year. John 15 and 17. I have lived off of these chapters for the last two years. I love them. Like whenever I sit down and there's not something that I'm just itching to figure out, this is my go-to. In verse 4, Jesus says this. He tells his disciples, remain in me and I will remain in you. 
Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit, because apart from me you can accomplish nothing. And then skipping down to verse 8, I love this. My Father is honored by this, that you bear much fruit and show that you are my disciples. Now, I want to start at the end and work backwards because of this. Like when, when Jesus says, my father is honored by this, like when I read words like that, guys, like the way that I'm wired, I want to win. Now, I'm not a super competitive person, right? But you only got one shot at this life, right? And w- once you figured out what God has called you to do, and whatever that is, there could be several things because there's several of us in the room. But once you figure out what God has called you to do, then I hope that you want to do that the best of your ability. You may not be the best in the world at it, but I want to be the best at what, I can, what, I, what God has called me to do as I can be. Right? And so when I read, my father is honored by this, see, that's like the finish line for me because I want God to be honored by the life that I live. And so Jesus is about to tell you what honors God. And he says that you bear much fruit. So if you want to honor God, live a life that bears fruit, right? That, 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 that produces something that is good for the world in which we live and show that you are my disciples. It goes back to what John the Baptist said, right? Go look at that scripture that I started with today. The question that kept me up all night. Therefore, produce fruit that proves your repentance. Like there should be action and there should be movement in your life. And, and when, when that movement is producing fruit and you're proving that you're a disciple of Jesus, man, that is what brings God honor. And that's what I want. Now, how do we, so again, that's the end. So me producing fruit and proving that I'm a disciple is what brings Jesus honor, brings God honor. Well, how do I get there? Jesus says, it's just remain in me. Man, if you, if you will stay with me, then I will stay with you. And through you, Matt, I'm going to do so many things. See, it's just this one thing, but from this one thing, everything else comes out of. And this is where I got that language that do you want to do the good thing or the God thing? Because I'm telling you, you have spent and I have spent the majority of our Christian life doing good stuff, helping good people, whether it be social justice or, or serving at a church or what, helping a family member out. And those are good, and I'm not saying we don't do those things. But how many times has Matt Miller, me specifically, missed the very God thing that God has asked me to do because I never heard God say it because I didn't have time to sit with him because I was too busy doing good things. I'm just, I'm just kind of telling you my life story and what I'm learning. Like I've, I, there's been too many times in my life, guys, when I know that I need to sit down and remain in Jesus and just have a quiet time, have a Bible study, abide, whatever you want to call it. And I've simply said, I don't have the time. I can't do that today because I've got to go and get this good stuff done. God, don't you know that I pastor a church? I do good stuff for a living, all right? And I'm telling you, that good stuff can keep you sidetracked from, being, from accomplishing the very thing God asked you to accomplish. Now, um, a couple years ago, as I'm learning, this, this, this is a journey I've been on for three years, this, from sin management to becoming a friend of Jesus, right? And so a few years ago, uh, God uh, took me not to a mountaintop experience, but to a valley experience where I, in a lot of pain, uh, I really learned that, like he, like he took this lesson and put it on steroids for me, Right? And he gave me this language that I've been using for ever since then, and it's here on purpose. Now, I'm going to give you my here on purpose formula, right? And I hate the word formula in spiritual things, but man, this, this has just worked for me. And I think it will work for you because this is all about abiding. It's about remaining with Jesus and in Jesus. And uh, here's why I call it here on purpose, okay? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what I do every time, all right? And I'm not making this stuff up, so just track with me. I have three chairs at my home. They're in different rooms, okay? Depending on what's going on and what I'm able to do, I will find myself in one of those chairs, okay? And when I sit in that chair, when my butt hits the seat, I say to the good Lord, 
Lord, I'm here on purpose. And the reason I say that is for me to know and for the Lord to know that there's a million other things that I could be doing at this time, but I'm, I'm hitting pause on the game I want to play. I'm hitting pause on the emails I need to send. I'm hitting pause on the book I want to finish. I'm hitting pause on the, on the websites that I was checking out. I'm hitting pause on the text messages that I need to respond to. I'm hitting pause on the phone calls I need to respond to. I'm hitting pause on the messages in blogs and all this other stuff that I need to do for New City. I'm not going to do that stuff because I'm going to simply sit and be still with the Lord. And I say, Lord, I'm here on purpose. And my phone, I put my phone face down where I can't see it, right? And if it beeps, it just beeps. And I'm telling you, every time it beeps, I have to fight the urge not to look at it and see what it says. I'm just being honest. I have to, because the way that I'm wired, I want to accomplish something, right? I want to do something. But I have to say, no, I'm here on purpose. That can wait. That can wait. I want to give you a principle real quick. This will help us as we move forward. The principle is this. God goes first. It's that simple, right? God goes first. It doesn't matter what kind of resolution you might set, whatever thing that you want to start, just God goes first. God goes first in your marriage. God goes first in your dating life. God goes first at your workplace. God goes first in your finances. God goes first in your work ethic. God goes first in your parenting as you are as a spouse. So just, just put God first. God doesn't, God has, this might be mind-blowing for some of you, God has zero desire for second place in your life. God has no want whatsoever to be your co-pilot. He wants to fly the flipping plane, okay? And so this idea that, man, I'm, 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 man, God goes first. And so when I sit down, man, I intentionally put God first, and I say, Lord, I'm here on purpose. And then I have four things that I do, okay? I want to share these with you. The first one is wow. Real easy words, by the way, right? Again, I told you nothing deep. Wow. And my wow is where I brag on God. This is, I mean, I sit there and I just tell God what I'm grateful for and what I'm thankful for. And if this is something that's difficult for you, right? Like if right now, if I said, I want everybody to stand up, I want everybody to give me three things that you're, you want to give a praise report on. If you have to go, um, um, well, I don't know, life's pretty hard right now. That's okay. You just can't stay there. Okay. Now here's why it's important. Life is going to be hard sometimes. And even when life is hard, God is still God. God is still in control and there's still something to be joyful about. Right, and so it's this discipline of saying, "Lord, I know I got all this junk I want to talk to you about, but I'm going to hit. I'm going to wait on that. And first, I want to tell you why I love you. I'm just going to brag on you. And, and oh man, it's so bad. This, but Lord, can I just say, man, that sunrise this morning was fantastic. Lord, can I just say how much I love my kids? Lord, thank you for my wife, my husband, whatever it is that you have. But just like, and you may have to, it may you may have to beat your brain to come up with things to be thankful for. But do the work, because man, to tell, man, listen." you will begin to flex a new muscle in your life where you will be able to see God in every situation when you start your time praising Him and thanking Him for who He is. For example, how did Jesus start the most famous prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What, what did Jesus say in there? He is right away saying, God, you're, you are set apart, you're holy, and you're in a whole other realm that I'm not. There is something special about you. And I'm going to give you the praise you deserve. King David, he penned one time, maybe it was Psalms 119, I can't remember the exact psalm. But one time King David penned, praise the Lord, O my soul. Why did he say that? I think it's because his soul wasn't wanting to praise the Lord. And he commanded his soul what to do. Sometimes you've got to tell you what to do. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Like, I'm going to give God thanks even though I don't feel like it right now. So we start with bragging on God. Wow. God, i got to brag on you. Here's the second one. After we brag on God, now. Tell God the good the bad, and the ugly. Okay, pop quiz, you ready? Got to participate. Show of hands. Who thinks that, who believes that God already knows the good and the bad and the ugly of your life? By show of hands. Yeah, he knows. By the way, he knows. Now, 
if you don't think he knows, if you think you know something that God doesn't know, that would make you God. And I want to bust your bubble already in 2017. You ready? You ain't God. Right? And so God knows all things. And so listen, when you sit with him, now, if you're going to have this uh, time, this here on purpose time publicly, this could be kind of awkward. Right? I do this at, through journaling. I rarely do this at Starbucks. Right? I think this is maybe one of the reasons Jesus said when you pray, go to your closet and close the door or find a solitary place. Because sometimes you just need to cry because you're so mad. Not because you're sad. Have you ever been so angry you just cry? Because going into your here on purpose time and putting on airs like, oh, God, things are great. No, sometimes you're ticked off and you need to tell God, God, I'm mad about this. And I don't like how this is going down. I don't like how I'm being treated. I don't, I don't like my attitude. Like, I feel very greedy. Like, trying to put on these things like I'm perfect and it's all. No, this is a time where it's just you and the Lord and you get to say, God, here's my good. Like, things are going great. Or, God, things aren't good. Or, man, here's the ugly side of me. I'm jealous. Or whatever it might be for you. But you just kind of pour out your life to the Lord. Now, what you will find is when you do this, it's not all that all the time. Like sometimes you're going to, like I'll, I'll use my friend Clay. Uh, Clay lost his mom not long ago. She just passed away almost to the year that his father passed away. So I can make the assumption that when Clay sits down for his here on purpose time, after he brags on God and he gets to the good and the bad and the ugly, there's probably some grief that Clay's trying to deal with, right? And he's like, man, I'm so, like, how do I process this grief? And so sometimes when you sit down with the Lord, you're going to be in a conversation or in a specific uh, season of something, maybe for a period of time. And every time you sit down, you don't have to go through the whole process again. God's got good hearing. He knows what's going on. I've got an excellent memory, right? But Lord, I'm still struggling with this. Help me to, right? Now, when you get to the now, so be authentic with the Lord. But here's where I want to hit pause. This is where most of us currently have we, if you were to have a quiet time, a here on purpose time, this is how most of us right now do it. We would stop right there. We, we go to prayer, right? We sit down with our Bible, and we complain to God about life, or we talk about what's going on, and then we say that spiritual period, amen, and we go about our day. And who's done all the talking at this point? Right? You have, right? I have. So far in this process, you and I are the ones doing all the talking. Now, raise your hand. No, actually, don't do raise your hand. I was going to ask you the question. If you think you know more than God, raise your hand. But I didn't want to embarrass somebody if you raised your hand. We don't know more than God, right? God knows more. And so the person who knows more should talk more than we do. And so after you do now, the next thing you do is this, is how. And this is where you stop talking. And you don't just stop talking. You, you begin to read God's word. You listen to it. And then you obey it. Read, listen, obey. Now, I know what many of you might say well, Matt, that's easy for you. You've been doing this, you said, since you were 19. I'm, I'm kind of new to this journey, and I don't know all the scriptures you know. And that's why God gave us Google, right? Like, there is this, um, there is this I've, I've had this, heard this from many people. It is not a spiritual flaw to have to Google scriptures, folks. It's a, it's a tremendous resource at your fingers to get out your phone, open up your favorite browser, and say, what does the Bible say about depression? What does the Bible say about money? What does the Bible say about uh, a fear? What does the Bible say? Your topic. And, and now here's, here's the, let me coach you in this though. This is, a, this is a, a great flaw in the Christian church. When you see those come up, read the scriptures. Don't read the blogs and articles about the scriptures. Most times what we like to do is it's easier to go sit with the person who's sitting with Jesus than it is to sit with Jesus. Hey, mine is laughing because he knows it's true. Like, I know people who uh, fill their life with Bible studies and spiritual blogs, and they do that all the time, always doing good things, but never sitting with the man himself. And how great is it that we get access to Jesus anytime, all the time? 
And so even before you would uh, read something that I was to write, like who goes first? God goes first, right? And so, man, uh, find those scriptures as you Google them and you don't know, and then, and then just research them and say, God, what are you saying to me? Now, when you do that, you read them, you listen. That might, A better word might be you observe them or you kind of uh, study them a little bit, like what's this scripture actually saying? But reading it and listening, guys, isn't the, fi- the finish line, right? Obeying it is where the rubber meets the road. Right? That's where the fruit begins to begin to grow in your life when you actually do the very things that Jesus says. And that gets us to the fourth one. And the fourth one is kaboom. Right? And this is after you're obedient, you experience God's favor. I love this one. I love this one. I have a relative several years ago who asked me, Matt, why are you so rich? And it really ticked me off because, one, I'm not rich. But he looked at my life and he, he uh, assessed that me and my wife were rich. And man, I wish I would have, honestly, it made me mad. And I wish I would have been more mature in the moment to not get aggravated. I didn't say anything. I just kind of lapped it off even though I was ticked because it was a great discipling moment. Because the truth is there are financial principles in God's word that my wife and I apply to our life faithfully. And it's not a burden. It's not a chore. It's what we get to do. But man, from that, God is faithful and we get to experience his favor. Let me ask you this question. What would it be like if tonight, those of you who are married, you got to lay down on your pillow, lean over and look at your spouse and say, I love you, honey, and for them to say, I love you too, and go to sleep that night, not worried about if they're mad at you, if they found out, if they were ticked, if they were sad, like they was just simply peace in your marriage. See, that's favor. And you know how many people don't experience that? And the reason, now several of us in this room experience this, and it's not because God loves us more, and it's not because uh, we're better than you are. It's because some of us have been through this process where we haven't really liked the one that we're sleeping beside at the moment. And instead of staying mad or staying angry, when we sit with the Lord, we tell God all about it, the ugly that our spouse is, because it's never my fault, right? I tell God all about my wife, Jen. But then I say, what does the Bible say to me? And I read God's word and I actually apply it, which usually has, ends up me saying, honey, I was a moron, right? Because usually it's not her, it's me. But it's that practice of reading God's word, listening, obeying it, where you make the relationship right, where you can have peace on your pillow. What would it be like for you if you laid down your head on your pillow this year and knew that your bills were paid and that you were uh, in a financial place where you... The, that you were secure. Maybe you had enough money to go to the movies a couple times a month, maybe go out to dinner. You weren't relying on a credit card or hoping that you get some kind of an unexpected gift, and you just had financial peace. I'm not saying that you had overflowing, but God just gave you just enough, right? Man, would that not bring peace in your life? Listen, for those of us who have that, it's not because we're better or smarter. It's because God says certain things, and we choose to believe them. They're like, they're, God, God's word works, folks. It's not some mythological stuff where some people get blessed and others don't. God is faithful, and His favor is for everyone who will read, listen, and obey. Kaboom. I want you to have kaboom this year. I don't want this year to be about you going and saying, well, I better do this so God's going to lock me more. No, God already loves you all He can. Now there's biblical principles in place that God says, if you will follow these, then I'm going to get to do so much favor and so many blessings in your life. But we have to obey. We have to step in to that stuff. Now, what I just told you goes, uh, I, want, I want to just kind of chase a quick rabbit because I'm not a fan of, let me finish the whole sentence before you judge me. I'm not a fan of reading the Bible, reading the whole Bible through a year as a part of your here on purpose time. 
Because sometimes when we get to the new year, we set out devotions that we're going to do, and we set out these reading plans that we're going to do, and those, have, those plans don't get to ask you back, hey, what are you struggling with? And so if you're saying, hey, I'm going to read, like I can, you can tell me what you're going to read on May the 2nd. Well, you have no idea what you're going to be going through on May the 2nd, right? And so I'm not saying don't read the Bible through in a year. I'm just saying don't make it your here on purpose time. Don't make it your abiding time. Don't make it your quiet time, if you will. Do it extra and beyond. Now, I want to end with just kind of some thinking, all right? What are the environments that we get to abide in? Okay, there's three that I want to give you, but they're not equal, okay? I'm going to start from the one that's the least significant to the most significant, right? And the way I want to get there is I want you to be thinking about your most favorite person on the planet, okay? So it could be your spouse, it can be your best friend, it could be me, all right? Just whoever, you want to, whoever you want to think about, <laughs> Robin laughed, I want you to be, I'm going to be thinking about my wife, Jen, okay? She's my most favorite person on the planet, right? And so, and the reason about this is about relationship, right? We want to move from sin management to, man, I am going to be a friend of God. And so if you're going to develop a deeper relationship this year with your most favorite person on the planet, I want us to look at these three environments that are, that are real and, and that I want us to have in our life, but we got to play them out. And the first environment where we can have an, a, a kind of a here-on-purpose relationship is at church, right? Sunday night, Sunday morning, this corporate gathering time, right? But here's the rub. If the only time I would get to talk to my most favorite person, Jen, was for an hour on Sunday, one hour, one day a week, how deep do you think that relationship could go? Be pretty shallow, right? And here's, and here's the truth. Like I've done this for a while now. The majority of the people that attend New City, I shouldn't say that. I'm making a big assumption. A lot of the people that come to New City, the only time they read or hear God's Word is when I share it with them. Like one hour, one day a week. And if you're saying God goes first, and the only time you read God's word or hear God's word is from somebody else telling you about it one hour on one day a week, if that's the only time that I talk to my wife, do you think that communicates to her that she's truly my most favorite person? No, not at all, right? And so this is good. We're going to continue to do this, but this can't be all there is. If Sunday services are the only time you choose to open God's word or hear God's word, here's what I will commit to you this year. You will spiritually starve to death. And at some point you will quit coming here because what will happen is the week will overwhelm you with all the trials that you will go through and you'll be like, this spiritual thing just ain't working for me. And you will find yourself making that statement that I hate. I tried Jesus and he didn't work. I hate that statement because Jesus always works. He's always faithful. But it's just how we approach him. Think about it like this too. 52 weeks a year, if you have perfect church attendance, I get you for 52 hours this year. And I don't even speak for an hour, 35, 40 minutes max. And then I come in with a message prepared. I don't shoot from the hip. What's the odds that I'm going to preach on what you need to hear about? Sometimes maybe. But if you come in, like I haven't done a message. I mentioned Clay earlier. I haven't prepared a message this year that's dealing with grief. So is Clay supposed to just sit there in his puddle of grief, not knowing what to do until Pastor Matt somehow, some way teaches about it from the platform? That's not good news for anyone. That's why we wow, now, how, kaboom, right? Because you can go and sit with the Lord and tell him about all that's going on in your life and let him minister to you right there. The second environment would be a discipling group or a city group. Like we mentioned uh, the one coming up. It's on the back of the insert, Walking with Jesus. That's starting in two weeks, right? So a city group, again, it, maybe it's longer. Happens for me, it might happen on Tuesday night for two hours instead of three. But if the only time you talk to your most favorite person is for two hours, one day a week, what does that communicate again, right? It's good, but it's not going to be a deep, rich relationship. But what if you could talk with that person anytime 
the time presented itself. In your Jeep or in your car, going for a walk, sitting in a chair, over a cup of coffee, where you could just simply sit and talk to your most favorite person. And you did that every day. What would that communicate to them? I think you would communicate to them that they have a special place in your life, right? And guys, God goes first. And I'm inviting you. I'm raising the bar high. I'm not asking you one time a week to spend time with Jesus. I, I will never ask anybody in this church to lower the bar to the gospel. Man, listen, man, it is up here. And that's what we should strive to, not perfection. But man, I'm going to be a good friend of Jesus. And I want you to be a good friend of Jesus. And when you see me not being a good friend of Jesus, I want you to call me out on it because I'm going to call you out on it because that's what friends do. That's what family does, right? But man, we're going to keep the bar high when we talk about this becoming a friend of Jesus. And we're going to be here on purpose. And that's the goal of this year is that we remain that we abide and we allow our life to produce this. What would this church look like? Think about this. If the majority of the people that called New City Church home were sitting with Jesus in a very here-on-purpose way, like when the Lord was just speaking to you and, and ministering to you and giving you direction for your life, think about how radically uh, uh, amazing this, this ministry would be to the world in which we live. It'd be phenomenal. And here's why it can work. That's what 12 ordinary guys did. They sat with Jesus, they listened to him, and they actually did what he told them to do. And those 12 original disciples flipped the world on its head, right? And Jesus told you and I that we will do greater things than these. So let's go after it, right? But if you're so busy that you can't get to it, then that's a problem. So here's my last thing, and I'm done. So we're gonna ha- you're going to have to put this on your schedule. Like, you're going to have to put this on your calendar because... Uh, don't be so naive to think, oh, well, I'm going to, this makes, I'm, I'm just going to, no, you're not going to just do it. Stuff's going to fill your life and you're going to be like, man, it's been four days since I've opened my Bible. That's not a win, right? A win is, you know what? Like if you were to look on my calendar, unless it's been deleted, which I don't think it has been, early in the morning around six o'clock, 630, it says here on purpose. And that's just how I'm going to start my day. And I invite you guys to join with me however you want to do yours as well. Is that cool? I want to pray for you. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward, and then I want to conclude tonight with a blessing uh, for this year. So, Father, I pray that we would uh, take the initiative um, with our opportunity to sit with you. Can I just first brag on you and say thank you that you even want to sit with me and that you look forward to talking to me and encouraging me and challenging me. Lord, thank you for your word, and thank thank you for your great love that you speak truth through your scriptures. God, may we respond with obedience to your invitation to simply remain. It's in Jesus' name that we pray this. Amen.